Hello everyone, welcome to the Neurodivergent Experience. I'm Jordan James, also known as the Autistic Photographer, and I'm joined by my co-host and very good friend, Simon Scott. For this episode of the Neurodivergent Experience, we are talking about neurodivergent myths. I'm excited about this one, Simon. It's uh, it's a big one for me. <sighs> Putting this together because I'm I'm getting better with the research stuff. You are you are making me a better researcher as far as preparation for these things. I, I I'll be honest. I've I felt quite ill a lot of the times. A lot of these myths, a lot of these misconceptions and misinformation is it's hard for me to read. It's hard for me to revisit because I've I've seen these, I've experienced these, I've been told about these and how how much they affect the lives of people. And I've been sent stories of people that these these have profoundly affected their life to such a negative degree that, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but some of these can cost lives. And it is so important to get this information out there about this misinformation. No, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I'm look, currently looking through this little list here, just as you're reading it and going, yep, I think that, <laughs> I think that. So I'm really looking forward to having my my societal prejudices really? re-educate. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, so that okay. This is actually going to be more interesting than I even thought it was. Yeah. So the first, so, so the first one that we have here, I like to come back to is neurodivergent is not neurodiversity. Yes. So can you just explain that to me? Because that was something that I have had explained to me, and I'm now passing on to other people. I've had other people listening to the previous episodes speak to me on the phone, and they're all using the word neurodivergent, which makes me really, really happy. But I've been educated it in private. So could you just reaffirm it, Jordan, for those that listen? Okay. So obviously neurodiversity is a phrase that was coined by Dr. Singer, uh, who is a psychologist, uh, Australian psychologist, quite a few years ago now. And it was a term that was made in replacement of the word autism autistic simply to mean that we are diverse in thinking and at the time it was great it kind of it was then we had neurotypical so we had uh, neurodiverse and neurotypical neurodiverse meaning autistic but i think we've grown a lot since then we've realized that you know being autistic is is a neurotype that neurotype predominantly comes with other elements uh, such as adhd ocd dyslexia, dyspraxia, a dyscalculia, like so many things that, that can negatively impact our lives and positively impact our lives that just make this brain, but even to the point where our brains can change due to things like trauma and we can have PTSD that can literally change our brains. I apologize for the fact that I, I don't remember now, <laughs> it's gone out of my head, the person who came up with the word neurodivergent, but essentially neurodivergent means it diverges from the neurotypical. So now we have neurodivergent and neurotypical, and there's been a lot of arguments about this that I don't get involved in, but essentially I think what we landed on is neurodiverse, neurodiversity is every human. Every human thinks differently, every human acts differently, every human is different, 
every brain is essentially unique. So there's the diversity in the world. So that's neurodiversity, which includes neurotypicals, and neurodivergent, which means everything that's not neurotypical. That's where we've landed at. And it's a big one because most companies and uh, so-called professionals keep using neurodiverse. And I was actually told off by someone for saying that they're different. <laughs> someone went, you're just a photographer. What do you know? Cool. Thanks for that. You are correct. People keep using neurodiverse. And that is an incorrect terminology if you're talking about neurodivergent people. There you are. I was educated on that very, very early on. And uh, I hope you guys are as well. It's really good to know what words to use correctly because neurodiversity seems to me, it seems too like open. Everything seems to fall under that. It's a very general term. It's, it's just general. It's, it's far too general. So that's very good to know. So right, here we are. We've got a list of these things. There are many things that qualify somebody as neurodivergent, but Judd and I thought that we'd focus on a couple that are most known and misunderstood. So we'll start with autistic people. We all can't do eye contact. Yes, that, that, is, that is definitely a myth. I personally never realized that I struggled with eye contact until I was diagnosed and until I realized I was autistic. <laughs> For me, that was really strange because it kind of made me go backwards in through my life and go, every time I've done an interview, the first thing that was in my head when an interview was, make sure you do eye contact. It's respectful. Yeah, respectful. It's drilled into me. It's respectful to do eye contact. You've got to do eye contact. But I'll, I'll be honest, and until I was aware that I struggled with eye contact, I have actually been faking it all my life and not even knowing. So I never actually give, I, I give fleeting eye contact. But what I normally do, so I'd look around their face. I'm looking towards them. They've never known. I've never had it mentioned to me, oh, how come you can't do eye contact? And even in my ADHD assessment that I had with the NHS, the guy actually wrote down, oh, it does great eye contact. And I came back to him and said, hmm. dude, I, have, I didn't once look you in the eye. I, it's, it's faking it. And it is, it is a big issue when it comes to assessments and it comes to diagnosis and I've had so many parents contact me or comment about this that their child will go through their, the whole process of the assessment with the NHS and then right at the end, right at the end, they'll give fleeting eye contact and suddenly they, they can't be autistic because they give eye contact. And that is just not true at all because there are actually some Autistic people, they give too much eye contact, like to an intense level that they actually really like it because, and I keep repeating this, we are all different. It is generally we struggle with eye contact, but there's some autistic people that won't give it at all. They can't even look towards your face. There's someone like me who can, but won't look in your eyes, but you won't know it. And I think that's more because I was conditioned to do that as part of my masking. And now it's just how I am which I think is the, is the case for a lot of late diagnosed autistic adults. We've had to sort of fake it so much. It, you can't just say, oh, if you give eye contact, you're not autistic. It's horrific. And, and can you imagine how profoundly terrible that is, not only for a parent to go through all of that assessment and then get denied right at the end, 
But for that kid that now won't get the assistance, that won't get the help, won't get taken seriously, just because of cognitive dissonance of so-called professionals thinking they know better than actually autistic people. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to think about with that. And I, and I couldn't agree more. To be honest, Jordan, I am a lot more comfortable talking to you when I'm not looking in the camera. I, I don't like looking at the camera. It makes me feel weird. Yeah. This is one of the things but, I've always really loved about audio broadcasting is I don't have to look at you to talk to you. You don't have to see my eye contact to know that I'm listening. You don't have to see that I'm engaged because I'm staring deep into your soul. I have looked at people's foreheads for the past 29 years. It has helped me navigate life. <laughs> um, it's like when you're talking about these things with the mask, Jordan, it's, it's reinforced. It's not like a mask is just something that we take off and put on the bedside table before we go to bed. It's a part of our personality. It's a defense mechanism. We've got it on us at all times. It's not something that we just kind of put on the side. And I think with eye contact, I think it would be very, very cruel for a family to go through the diagnosis period. I know for a fact it would have been very cruel for my parents to have been sat in the diagnosis with me and for the lady to have then gone, right, guys, thanks very much. I look up, make eye contact for a few seconds, and she goes, right, okay, everything we've just talked about for the last hour and a half is invalid because he looked me in the eye. Yeah. It's, 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 so, it's uh, so, it's so rigid. Bad. And uh, alongside that, the other one that has been really bad is that, oh, they can't be autistic because they have lots of friends. And I'm thinking, hold on, an autistic kid is actually, wow. is actually winning, <laughs> right? They're winning. They're doing well. Like, good for them. They, they're sociable. They've got friends because we, we've been over this with the friends episode. We want friends. Everyone I met wants friends. Not everyone, but everyone I know wants friends. And I think most of these kids want friends. And it's like, oh, we've got friends then they're suddenly denied the, their own identity, mind, their own neurotype. They're denied the services. They're denied all these things because they're doing well at life. I have seen this so many times that if people are doing well at life, they can't possibly be neurodivergent. And that, that's probably the, one of the biggest myths that sucks. Yeah, I had this with my PIP. Applied for it. I sometimes, you know, struggle in crowds and I thought, Look, if, if I get it, I get it. That's great. If I don't, I don't. Wow. I had the phone call. Yeah, I probably masked while I was on the phone call because I'm like, this is an authoritative person. I have to get my point across rather than just being myself. The fact that I'm a freelancer and make money and can go and chase work and finish work and have meetings with people and do my own tax return apparently, no, you're fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. My scores were like zero in every category because I'm quote unquote normal or fine. And even though I'm autistic ADHD with dyspraxia, dyslexia, and I find all of these things really difficult and it's draining and I have to have certain days that I call like sharpening my saw days. But when looking at the PIP application, when I read through it, the assessment, I was like, I've been scammed. I'm not autistic at all. Like, how is, oh, yeah. why is, it's like, and then I just kind of got myself in this limbo. It is amazing how people that don't know, that think they know, can actually make you doubt who you are. And that is the power of the title of professional, whatever their profession is. 
if if they are a professional at telling people what to do or who they are and my best advice is listen to yourselves listen to autistic individuals like us you know like the the other advocates out there that are telling their their real lives and be able to advocate for yourself because you will come across cognitive dissonance and the donning kruger effect of somebody thinking that they're better than they actually are at something and the amount of misinformation so let let's get on to the one that bugs a lot of people especially me is we are all a little bit either autistic, ADHD, OCD, all a little bit this, a little bit that. And it's so massively insulting and you can't be a little bit neurodivergent because our brains develop completely differently. Scientifically proven, our brains develop completely differently due to the synaptic pruning process. Now I'm going to do what we are going to do, a whole episode on the neurodivergent brain. I'm looking forward to that one. Kind of a specialty of mine. So if you want to know more about synaptic pruning, I suggest you Google it or message me and then I'll tell you to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes for every time someone asks me a very simple to Google question, I'll just tell them to Google it. It's uh, You can't be a little bit autistic any more than you can be a little bit pregnant. You You are either neurodivergent or you are neurotypical. I, in my experience, I don't know if it's the same for you, Simon, when I've come across people who say stuff like that and they'll go, oh, because I do that and that and that and I'm neurotypical. And I go, are you now? Because if you do those things, you probably aren't. And they go, ooh. And then you just sort of walk off. And I call that planting the ND seed. You just sort of <laughs> leave it there and let it grow. <laughs> and that person just goes off and, and, and probably a lot of times they just think about it and it just grows. And then genuinely they've messaged me or come back to me and said, yeah, I've just been diagnosed. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, thought as much. So if you're out there and you think you're a little bit autistic, you probably just are autistic. What do you think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I had a conversation with a guy uh, a little while ago came into somewhere that I work and we had a little bit of a back and forth and he was talking about the fact that he was dyslexic. And I was like, oh yeah, me too. And the girl that was next to him went, well, we're all a little bit dyslexic, aren't we? And I just turned to her and went, no, no, we're not. Oof. And she went, yeah, but like all of this stuff has only just really come around in the past few years, to which I said, Everest didn't appear when the mountaineers turned up. Nice. I like that. It was there a long time before they rocked up. The news doesn't start when the cameras turn up. Yeah. Right? Love it. So she was like, oh, right, okay. And I went, if you think you're a little bit dyslexic, maybe you are just dyslexic. Yeah. And she went, oh, but no, I'm not. But like, it's an excuse for this and it's Ooh. an excuse for that. And do you know what I said to her? I said, if you think that's an excuse, I feel really sorry for you. You've got to be true to yourself. There are ways that people will... will, will do things at times that aren't because they're neurodivergent, but they'll happily blame being neurodivergent for these negative things. But a lot of the times when people make mistakes, that is because they're neurodivergent. And when we make mistakes, we're not, we're not using neurodivergent as an excuse. We're explaining the reason. See, that's another myth that we can bust is that Let's say you've got a kid 
uh, an autistic kid and he's having a huge oversensory meltdown in the middle of Sainsbury's, you can't just go, oh, that's bad parenting when there is a reason behind it. The reason is a child is completely overstimulated and cannot cope anymore. The, what they were expecting doesn't happen. And that, that, those expectations, that, that level of expectation we have such to a high degree a lot of the time, especially when you're a kid, you think every day should be Christmas. And that disappointment is just massively heightened. So mm. meltdowns, and there is a huge difference between meltdowns and tantrums. Huge difference. Huge. The reason is being neurodivergent. It's not an excuse. It's, and, it, and it's not bad parenting. It's not the parent's fault that a child is overstimulated all the time. Yeah. And I think I would add to that as well. It's not always necessarily the adult's fault that they're overstimulated either. Yeah. I've had moments where I've been out with family and we've walked into a bar where the music is blaring and I've just gone, I'm sorry, guys, I can't stay here. And everyone goes, oh, but we've got a table booked and you knew it was going to happen. We knew we were, we were planning it. I went, yeah, it's too loud. Sorry, I can't do it. And, I, and I've, I've upset people because I've, I've not been able to go through with it or I've just gone, I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to have to backdoor it. I, I can't stay, which upsets people sometimes, but it's also really difficult to explain. It's again, that thing of going, why are you doing it this way? Okay. Let me explain it to you. I don't want your excuses. Then what do you want? You just don't want me to behave this way. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah. They, they want you to behave how they expect you to behave and their expectations, uh, expectations are a lot of the problem when it comes to, um, to everybody, I think really their expectations of us, our expectations of ourselves, our expectations of how things are going to go versus how how they they normally end up. But no one should have expectations of you any more than you should have expectations of yourself. And the only expectation should be from neurodivergent person, and that's from them personally. Is I will just do my best. And if and, and, and if that is your expectation is I can do my best, then you yourself know that that if you couldn't achieve what you wanted to achieve, whether it's, I don't know, going to the shops or climbing a mountain, either way, as long as you try, as long as you do your best, you yourself know that you can hold your head up high and go, yeah, I did it. There are a lot of people, and I think that, that they're conditioned to feel like this, which is also a myth that, you know, neurodivergent people can't achieve things that neurotypical people can. Like there's this high and low functioning labels saying, oh, well, you know, if you're low functioning, you're just going to be living at home, you know, people caring for you all your life. And there's so many uh, autistic people that, that have proved that wrong time and time again, they've proven that wrong. This is old fashioned thinking. And it is down to you as an autistic individual to challenge yourself and do your best. And it's down to the people around you to support that and not expect anything from you other than what you want to do, what you think you can achieve. It's encouragement, man. That's what we need. I don't know when this is me overthinking it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, but I think 
a lot of neurotypical people get wound up with neurodivergent people is because we have an explanation as to why we're doing things the way we do things. A lot of the time when people have expectations for themselves or when I know people that will whinge or bitch and moan about other people and they're just bringing up things they dislike about themselves. Yeah, projecting their own insecurities. Yeah, a lot of the time I've had people that have pointed out the fact when I'm overstimulated or on the verge of a meltdown and really finding things hard. And a lot of the time it's, well, I don't know why you're not dealing with it because other people have it so hard. And I'm like, yes, other people do have it so hard, but right now I'm in front of you. And if you want to paint me with a brush that you paint so many other people with that when it is time for you to have it your way, of course I'm going to be disconnected from that. And this is the thing that I think a lot of people will find very, very difficult is they go, oh, why are neurodivergent people so abrasive and have a front and a defensive? And it's like, because we've been told there's something wrong with us and we know there isn't. The thing that is wrong with us is that you keep telling us there's something wrong with us. And after a while, we're going to get annoyed by it and we're going to get wound up. This is the thing that I find really frustrating about the, we don't like having friends. No, we just don't like having bad people around us or people that aren't good for us around us. And unfortunately, that is the majority of most people because they're just not cognitively aware or deep enough to just have a bit of patience with people. What's next? This one's quite a good one. I watched a video the other day, Diary of the CEO, fantastic podcast, huge, huge listenership. I scrolled through the other day, Bad diet can cause autism in your child. Mm. Diabetic, you have the risk of an autistic child. Obese, risk of autistic child. Uh. Autism is up 20% in the past two decades because we're all eating more. I looked into this because you told me about this the other day. So I read all the research. I I went full tree learning. I read that uh, (laughs) scientific. (laughs) It was uh, sponsored and run and organized by a charity, a alleged charity, uh, a non-profit. (laughs) That always makes me laugh. And they, they absolutely profit from this information because the more profoundly impaired we are, the more likely people are to give them money. So if we're never going to be the face of one of these organizations slash charities, because we don't look disabled to a stereotypical degree enough in the eyes of the public, that people are going to be like, oh, they obviously need our help, have some cash now. No one's doing a fun run for me and you. <laughs> They're just not. Um, even though, right, yeah, we, yeah, we both struggle a lot in our lives, but no one's doing a fun run for us. So these myths this, this of, of causes, and I want to do a whole episode about causes because this is where I usually end up feeling the most ill. And they're perpetuated by the idea that neurodivergence is something that is damaging a human. This is where it it is not scientific because you are starting from the base point of negativity. So you are only Mm. looking at what has happened to this poor, unfortunate child to make them have this awful, awful illness. 
And this particular organization that sponsored this, uh, they have a, a manifesto sort of thing that autism is an epidemic, that it is damaging, it's an illness, and it is destroying lives. It's so negative that it hurts me. Because in all these studies, it will say the same thing. The only thing they all have in common is that it's hereditary, it is genetic, and it is mutated genes. Simon, what does mutated genes mean? Evolving, isn't it, John? Uh, yes, it's evolution. <laughs> and at no point is any of these studies say, oh, it's evolution. We know it's evolution. We know it's supposed to be like this. And what I love about this particular study of how stupid it is, they're saying it's obesity, it's diabetes, it's food, it's, it's, it's um, processed food that we have. So how was my dad autistic? Because <laughs> there wasn't any of that when, in, when he was born in the 1930s, when my dad was born. Where was all the processed food then? Where were all these chemicals and preservatives then? How was his dad autistic? Because he was looking at you know, neurodivergent people throughout history and the profound impact they've had on the world and gone, well, your study should have ended there because the things you're saying that cause autism did not exist. That's like saying that dogs exist because cats exist. That doesn't make sense. Those two things aren't related. Mm. It's, 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 and and this, this is, this is in, on podcasts, this is on news feeds. And it's like, how ridiculous. How insanely ridiculous is anybody that says this, believes it, spreads it, when it is so easily debunked as the fact that being autistic has always been around and you're saying there's an epidemic, which means more people are autistic, when it has been proven the reason why more people are being assessed and diagnosed autistic is because we have much, much better understanding of what autistic people are like, because we have much more information out there. It is so obvious why more people are, are, are being diagnosed, because the knowledge is better, the understanding is better, not because somebody ate too many McDonald's. <laughs> There's a lot of points that I would love to add to that. When we're talking about charities or businesses, mm, you know, businesses. you have... You have product and you have product capacity. Neurodivergent people are the product. You need product capacity. You need a reoccurring amount of that product. You need to make sure that there is a conveyor belt of product coming in so that you can push it and you can sell it. The more happy neurodivergent people are out there, the less charities we need. And these <laughs> they were all getting yeah. paid wages, guys. So this is something to think about. This is why they spread the negativity. Yeah. And also human history we've been on the planet for a hundred thousand years and Cleopatra was further away from the pyramids being built than we are from Cleopatra. We don't know what happened two and a half thousand years ago. And we feel like that's a lifetime. We've been here for a lot longer than we understand. And there's still things that we're learning about ourselves. Autism is not new. Our understanding of it is new and it's developing and it's changing. Just like a lot of things are set in concrete. People still think the world is flat. Yeah, they're, they're fun. So we can have our perceptions changed, 
200 years ago where we all thought if we kept sailing, we'd go off the edge and you would have found it very, very difficult to have found anybody that's like that. There are 7 billion people on this planet. When I was born, there was six. What's a six We've people? got more people. <laughs> oh, I wish. No, six billion people were on the planet when I was born nearly 30 years ago. I was going to say, can, can, I, can, I, can I go that to that place? It, great. But it, what, what a time it was. But this is what I mean, is there are so many more people now and we have the internet. So my conclusion to that one is nothing causes someone to be a neurodivergent other than having neurodivergent parent or parents. So what causes autism? Uh, Sex. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. Okay. ADHD means you're externally hyperactive. When I was a kid, I got diagnosed hyperactive. That was it. Don't give him the blue smarties, guys. Yeah, yeah, all that nonsense. Doctor's orders. Yeah, don't. Oh, yeah, I've got an eating disorder. Genuinely, I've got an eating disorder because I was denied all the sort of treats and nice things that every other kid was having. Like, it, I should have been given them, you know, in, in moderation, which is how you should always give children treats in moderation. So I was just, just not allowed them at all. So I'd have carob. I don't even know what that is. Okay, Google it. <laughs> <sighs> Because I don't want to explain it because I might actually be yeah, ill. Fair enough. Okay. Um, it, it has fair given enough. me some very bad memories. And it, it's a chocolate substitute, which doesn't taste anything like chocolate. Oh, okay. And it's moving awful. on. awful. Mm. And it's, 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 yeah. it's just awful. So, yeah, I was, I was not allowed any of these things because I was very – they would make me hyper. I don't know if anybody in the world has any brains um, out there who thinks – that the this is true still that giving uh, an ADHD child sweets will make them more ADHD. I don't know if if this isn't the most obvious thing, but if you give any child or any adult sugar, they'll get a sugar rush, a sugar buzz, a burst of energy, and that will make anybody act slightly or more hyper than they actually are. So. It's it's ridiculous to think that. Yeah, there, so there are there are different types of ADHD. I think the 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 main ones. What you have is impulsive, hyperactive type of ADHD, which is definitely I'm well in there. <laughs> so much. I mean, uh, my daughter and I. And then you have what is like with my 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 wife and and my son and most of my friends are actually who are ADHD, is something called inattentive and distractible ADHD. Sounds like me. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that is how ADHD manifests most of the time. And, and, and people used to call that ADD, but it's not because your brain is still hyper. And, and this is the myth that we need to bust, is the word hyper doesn't mean your body. It means your brain. That's why it is a neurotype it is something that affects the way you think not the way you act because i don't know if people know this but everything starts here and feeds into your body right so this is where everything starts this is the control center is your brain so adhd is in your brain not in your body you know so me being hyperactive me being externally hyperactive that's just me i'm i'm a very bubbly, expressive person. And my wife said this the other day. She said, for her, it's ADHD people who are extroverts and ADHD people who are introverts. That, that, that's how she sees it. How do you see it? 
It's interesting. It's a good way of putting it because I've always kind of been an introverted extrovert. I love being by myself, but then I do find when I'm with people, I get energy off of the people. Like if, like when you and I are together, I notice when we're talking about something that we're enjoying, I can just feel my foot hit the accelerator slightly. I start talking a little faster, a little louder. It's like I'm going up a gear. But for me personally, my brain is just constant nonstop. It's like a, a picture show of thoughts and feelings and it's just never ending. Oh yeah, the noise. But the thing that I notice the most with my ADHD is my vision. I have constant snow disorder when it comes to my eyes. It's like I have um, pixelation in my vision constantly. It's like if I close my eyes now, it looks like uh, an old school TV. It's gray with loads of static and there's, there's lights that are like flashing across my eyes that kind of look like the Northern Lights. That's constant. Whoa. It's constant. And that's, if that's I'm mad. tired, it can move in and out. During my process of trying to figure out I was neurodivergent, I've tried lots of different things. I've tried like psychedelic treatments as well. And that is the closest thing that I've found to what I'm experiencing. I would actually say my internal brain borderline on a psychedelic element because I'm seeing things and thinking about things that aren't necessarily always there. I suppose it's that tree learning, forest learning is like when I'm looking at something, my eidetic brain is creating all of these different things to look at on the side. It's like opening tabs when looking at something. It's like, do you want to see this? Do you want to see that? It's like having pop-ups yeah. on a, from a computer virus appearing on your screen constantly, yeah. which is why I say to people, I get tired really quickly because you're looking at something, but I'm looking at something and around it, it's like Iron Man's hood. I could see this pop-up and this pop-up and it goes, do you want to know about this? 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 What about this? Oh, they just said something. Look at that facial twitch. Does that mean this and this and this and this and this? And there's so much going off in my brain. I lose track of the conversation. I lose track of what I'm doing constantly, constantly overanalyzing. That's the, that's the issue with having a body that's like a meat mech that's got a, a supercomputer inside. It's like my body needs updates to keep in touch with the brain. And the update is like your computer turning off and restarting. And that's kind of where I struggle with it. This almost this ability to disability. I have that supercomputer brain ability, but it overheats, it gets burnt out and it regularly needs an update. So the disability is that I need to have a hard reset and I need to have days where I'm just kind of sit in the dark and let the update, the reboot happen so that I can come back 100%. Yeah. Here we go. Here's a good one for you. Kids with dyslexia just need to try harder to read. I actually experienced something like this with my kids that I was told I needed to read more to them in order for them to be able to read better. I, I, I used to no, read to my sense. kids every night. And, and it's actually the opposite because with my with my type of dyslexia, phono- <laughs> apparently I'm dyslexic. <laughs> what? This, just quickly, for someone who's dyslexic, they make words about dyslexia very difficult to read. It's very unfair. <laughs> it's gatekeeping, isn't it? They create these long words and we look at it and we go, I'm not going to read that. I mean, and even the go, word good, dyslexia good. is like, what's that? Phonological dyslexia. I have a problem. I'm able to read words that I know really well when, when I'm reading, I 
don't recognize words that are new to me or that, that I'm unfamiliar with on a regular basis. So I will get stuck on certain words and then I have to break them down as if like it's the first, like I'm a little kid, it's the first time I've ever read them. And a lot of the times I won't know how to pronounce them because I'm saying it how it looks on paper. I can relate to that. So many words aren't pronounced how they look on paper. Like yacht. Why is yacht just not Y O T? I mean, it's yak. And I'm like, I, I understand language. I understand the history behind language. I understand that other languages have evolved in our language. And these are, you know, elements of other languages that have leaked or evolved within the English language. But don't tell me that there's something wrong with me because you're language doesn't make sense like my, mm. that's my neurodivergent brain is it's very literal so the idea of someone saying oh you just need to try harder it's very dismissive because that's suggesting that we're not doing that and we are doing that yeah it's just really hard so maybe the people that need to try harder are the teachers And I know that they do. I I know so many really great teachers. My kids didn't really have them that much when it came to things like that. Also as well, may I just add, for any international speakers or or bilingual speakers, English is notoriously hard to learn because we have one word that means seven different things depending on how you grammatically use it. So English is hard enough to learn because there are multi-use words in the language without the complexity of dyslexia so cut yourself some slack guys it's hard i actually i actually think it's it's it is it is the english language that that makes me this type of dyslexic <laughs> i think honestly if i mm. if like i'm called a polish if i'd learnt polish i'd probably had to read polish which is is basically you say it is it spelled if you if you understand the polish language and which is why my, my wife said that, that that she never really had problems with spelling and and, and words when she grew up in poland but she has the exact same problem with language, and it's not because it's her second language, because English now is pretty much her first language. She actually thinks in English now. Mm. She's been here for more than half her life, and she, she struggles in the same way. So Polish, she's not dyslexic. She has no problems reading and writing and, and, and understanding words. When it comes to English, she is. So mm. that's, that's something to think about. All right, I'll let you pick the next one then. Oh, okay. This is one that I came across that I was shocked. Like, it just took me by surprise because I, I, I hadn't even imagined that anyone can think this way. And that it is you can grow out of ADHD. You can just grow out of it. And this, do you want to hear something really scary? This was at a school for autistic and ADHD kids. And I was there doing like a motivation, well, I was supposed to do a motivational talk. It was like Hogwarts for, for NDs. It was a beautiful school. And the, the head teacher was really proud. He was showing me around and he was a young guy and he, he said all the right things and everything was great. And this is why it really, really took me by surprise because he just said, look, you know, I want you to go and talk to the kids if that's possible. And 
but can you just make sure, because I told him that I'm ADHD as well, and he said, can you just make sure that you, you don't tell them that you're ADHD because we're telling them that adults can't be ADHD. And I went, why? Why? Why would you tell them that? Why? What's the whole point of the like, school if you're going to be like, what's you, the point? Yeah, you just lie. And he said, oh, the latest research suggests it. And in front of him, I Googled it. And it, all it said is how this apparent latest research has just debunked and it's just wrong. And I, and I showed him and he just blanked me. And I just went, well, if this is what you're saying, I'm not going to help you do this. And I said, if you come back to me and tell me how wrong you are, then I'll come back and I will help change these kids' lives for the better because that's what I do. I've done it so many times in schools where I've motivated kids mm. and, and I've made kids feel so good about themselves for being different. It's literally one of my special abilities is to make people feel good about being different. And his cognitive dissonance crappy attitude of well i'm the head teacher of this school and i know better than everyone because i read this research and i'm a moron he, he never ever contacted me again ever it's probably because he didn't want to admit as an adult that maybe he had adhd who knows this yeah. is how this is how yeah. petty it can fall upon you can lose your reputation so so quickly if you're gonna run a school for adhd kids and autistic kids it's not betty ford it's not a rehab center that you're going to go and remove this affliction from yourself. No wonder it feels like an affliction if you're told it's an affliction. We have no empathy. Really? Ah, uh, yeah. Apparently, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. But apparently, yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all robots. Yeah, so... <laughs> no empathy, apparently. Yeah, no, no empathy. There's, there's different types of myth that involve us and our empathy but essentially they all come down to the same thing is is that you know we lack it or we don't have it it couldn't be further from the truth we have an abundance of empathy and do you know what most of the time and i've learned my lesson with this most of the time i will always speak from me or from my experiences of the people that i know and that i've met but I will happily go on the record right now and say every neurodivergent person does not lack empathy like everybody is saying that we do. Autistic people have an abundance of empathy because we are hypersensitive beings. And how I explain this to, to people is if a computer overheats, the computer shuts down, just shuts down. We don't know why it's shut down because we don't know that it's overheating. It's just overheating. So it shuts down as a precautionary action. How I see it is that when we are faced with an abundance of empathy, we have so much that we can't cope with it. And that's when we shut down. So then it appears, because I've met autistic people that go, well, no, I, I don't have empathy because that's what they've been told. So they don't recognize what empathy is because they're told they don't feel it. So they just go, yeah, I don't feel it. So a lot of the times we don't understand our own feelings. We don't know how to explain them. That's called alexithemia. It's a whole different thing. We don't understand what's going on in our own heads 
And then other people are out there going, well, I understand what's going on in your head. So I'm telling you because, you know, this is the research that I've done. Because they've <laughs> compared our brains to their brains and they think if our brains work differently to their brains, our brains are wrong. <clears throat> and yeah, that's exactly. where all of this comes from is their, their brains are how it should be. Our brains are like, wrong they're broken and that's the ego talking oh it, it's it's horrifically inaccurate it is massively insulting and it's also massively unempathetic yes it's literally literally not empathetic at all and the amount of mental health problems that this negative attitude towards us causes it's just huge like you see all these studies of what causes autism how about the study of what causes mental health problems with autistic people, I know how that study ends. It's the studies that say things cause autism. That are doing it. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, the, it's these myths about us that are so horrifically wrong and negative and make us out to be just broken humans that is what is the cause of our mental health problems. And if, if you're telling a child, oh, you can't feel empathy, but you don't explain to them what that is or how they would recognize it if they did, because this cognitive dissonance kicks in and they go, no, this kid is literally incapable. It's impossible for them to feel any empathy. So there's literally absolutely no point in even looking for that empathy because it definitely, definitely doesn't exist. And this is the level of self-narcissistic thought that these so-called professionals have that come up with this rubbish. And this, oh, this is why I feel ill when mm. I talk about it, because it makes me so upset, because I know we absolutely have an abundance of empathy. I think one of the things that I come back to with this is a lot of the time as to why people struggle is because their ego won't allow them to think that they're wrong. And if you're wrong about this, then what else are you wrong about? It can cause people to really spiral psychologically. As somebody who listens to a lot of podcasts, if you're listening to this and you also listen to a lot of podcasts, you've probably heard a true crime story here or there if you're uh, uh, an avid listener. Psychopaths, non-emotive, very quiet have issues with empathy and understanding people and have masks. It's essentially how somebody who doesn't understand autism would describe an autistic person or a neurodivergent person, these cold loners who struggle in school and want to be alone. And there is a, a series of a rinse of repeat of a psychological profile of a psychopath. Unfortunately, it pairs up with the stereotypes of a neurodivergent person. And it's not through a lack of understanding. It's through a I suppose it is through a lack of understanding. It's an ignorance and, and painting people with a brush. But that profile, the, the loner, the doesn't like people, might hurt animals, has no empathy, is what a lot of people seem to think that high-functioning neurodivergent people are. Because when I speak to people, I get treated sometimes like I'm dangerous or should be avoided or you know, they could explode at any moment. They're a time bomb waiting to go off. These are the sorts of stereotypes that I seem to find around myself because people think, oh, he's aggressive. 
he doesn't have empathy. I go, no, I've been bullied all of my life and I find it really difficult to trust people. There is exposition to my example if you would just listen to it and not hear it as an excuse. Every time someone hears the word psychopath, they immediately think killer, which is just mm. so not okay. Every time I hear mm-hmm. the word psychopath, I think car salesman. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. I think of guys in Canary Wharf, the the business yeah. killers. That's what I think yeah. of when I think of a psychopath. Somebody that can can happily hurt or screw someone over and just be like, yeah, and go to bed at night. yeah I'm okay with that. Like I'm, I am incapable of doing that because even thinking about screwing someone over, just thinking about it, makes me so upset mm. I, 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 can't, I wouldn't I just can't do it I'm not saying again this is me I, I just can't do it someone else getting hurt crushes me the less I know the better I sleep at night that's why I don't sleep yeah well there's that other one of ignorance is bliss and, and I have to admit I like literally just doing like extra research for for this podcast i've i actually learned more things and just feel terrible because now i know them but yeah so i hope everyone listening really appreciates this episode i'm not saying you have to i just hope you do (laughs) because i tell you what i i've spent the last three days preparing for this it has been a long three days mentally because i have read so much so i we're just touching the surface in this particular episode we 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 kind of neurotypicaled it we did not end this episode and go into full research but i did do it all and i i don't feel like i'm a better person for it except mm. and this this is where i want to end this episode is when it comes to ocd i will admit i was wrong about what I thought OCD was. And I've done research on OCD, but it it turns out that I haven't done it recent enough. And I think I I hyper-focus so much on autism and ADHD and then like a a splatter of dyslexia. And then I've got like a sprinkle of understanding of OCD. And now I have a much, much better understanding of OCD. And so I want to finish this by helping others understand it a little bit better because I think it's probably one of or is the most misunderstood neurodivergent, I hate this word, but this is a condition because this genuinely profoundly affects the lives of people who have OCD to the point that it can literally stop them from doing everything. Like it just takes Mm. over their lives. I, I've, I've known this, but I don't think that I appreciated it enough to not think that I could be a little bit OCD. Right. Like I have made that mistake in the past, thinking that the things I was doing accounted to be OCD. And I was, according to my research, I was wrong. And this is the great thing about research and about learning is that I actually don't have the cognitive dissonance that I accuse others of having because I've experienced it so much that so I will open my mind. And if I'm provided with enough information and enough facts, not opinions, facts, I will happily change my mind. I will open my mind. So this is, this is just a quick list, myths versus facts of OCD, all right? 
uh, starts with, we are all a little bit OCD at times. And then it says, OCD is not a personality quirk or a character trait. It is a very real mental health condition that affects apparently 1% to 2% of people. This is I'm just reading off. This is what I learned, right? This is copy and paste. OCD is all about cleanliness. Myth. Fact. There are other OCD compulsions, such as hoarding items, checking and rechecking for mistakes, and repeating routines. I'm sure we've all seen like that sort of thing. But that relates with me, yeah. Yeah. Stress. There's myth. Stress causes OCD. Fact, OCD is not simply an overreaction to the stresses of life. While stressful situations can exacerbate uh, the symptoms, uh, stress alone does not cause it. By the way, I'm super proud that I pronounced the word exacerbate. Just just putting that out there. I haven't even got my glasses on. <laughs> yeah, playing life in hard mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just proving that dyslexia disappears. As and when, <laughs> when you needed in an argument. Dyslexia only disappears when you read a sentence that much that you're like, I now know what this exact word is going to be because I practiced. So, yeah. Dyslexia is a myth if you rehearse. <laughs> yeah. God. Good to know. Myth. OCD is rooted in childhood. Fact. Childhood experiences have very little to do with having OCD as an adult. However, genetics may play a role. No surprise there. Okay. Myth. People with OCD don't realize they're acting irrationally. Fact, in most cases, people with OCD know that uh, what they're thinking and doing is irrational. Despite this, they still feel compelled to engage in compulsion. Mm, Sounds like addictive behaviors. Yeah. Myth, OCD is not treatable. Fact. With proper treatment, it is very possible for people with OCD to lead full and productive lives. So it's not curable, it's manageable. Treatable. Like, no one's going to cure my ADHD, not that I would want them to, but my medication makes it manageable. So I can, I can reap the benefits of my brain being different, mm. but it, it actually makes me focus a lot more. So it actually re- not, doesn't take away, it reduces my disabilities and because my disabilities are reduced in certain areas it actually enhances my ability so i can think better Mm. so it takes away my my distraction level it takes away my noise by taking my medication which which then takes you know it reduces the disability side of it which then enhances my ability to learn and to think and to understand things at a neurodivergent level, it's changed my life. I know that. Mine so, as well, yeah. yeah, but but the main thing, which which obviously this this wasn't part of this, but during my research, OCD is nothing to do with the pursuit of perfectionism. Is that and we I talked mean? about goals in our last episode, didn't yeah. we? And by the way, I, I I still have OCD because of other things that are going on in my head. I thought that there were other elements to the way I I acted and did things that were OCD that it turns out that they are not. So I associated mm. my pursuit of perfectionism, my need for perfectionism with OCD. And according to my research, I do have to make that clear because it could be wrong. According to my research, it, perfectionism and OCD aren't, aren't the same thing. OCD is the constant thoughts that invade your head that basically 
make you feel really, really bad if you don't do or think something. I'm probably not saying this right. And um, I'm... I'm <laughs> well, if you are, then I might have OCD. It, it's just that it's a compulsive thoughts, compulsive thoughts that, that invade your mind that just make you feel really bad or like disaster is going to strike you if you don't turn the lights off seven times or if you don't clean up then you're, you're going to catch a disease so you know it's a, the very common type is people who are like that germaphobe ocd mm. it's not the fact that they're afraid of the germ it's the fact they think that germ that their constant thoughts is that they're going to catch something and they're going to like the worst thing is going to happen so it's not necessarily the routine and the repetitiveness. It no, is not at all. The, the, the intrusive thought of if I don't do this and it, the, the anxiety that forms from that. Yeah, it's way darker than I think wow. most people think. I think most people think, Gosh. oh, it's just somebody that, that needs organisation. They need routine. They, they need cleanliness. Has to clean the house before they can leave the house. Yeah, yeah. but they, they want it to look pretty. And, and, and it's like there are so many reasons behind somebody wanting to be clean and wanting to be, you know, things to look pretty psychologically. Unless it is an overwhelming sense of doom, according to my research, it's not OCD. OCD is this overwhelming sense of doom. It is far more profoundly dark and, and affects people to such a degree. I think it is so insulting. And, and like I said, I am now guilty of this to assume that, that something like perfectionism is actually OCD. It is not. It is. I, I don't know what it is. It's probably something to do with how I was brought up. Like there's, there's something going on in my head that makes me want to be perfect at something. Mm, that natural competitiveness. And... It could just be hyper-focus. I hyper-focus on the end result rather than enjoying the, the journey that gets me there. I'm so yeah, focused. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably more hyper-focus. But yeah, according to my research, no OCD. That is super, super fascinating. I think we've covered some myths today that I think we've we've covered in a great way. Yes. If you've enjoyed listening to this, guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, if you find inspiration, knowledge, a moment of reassurance for how you feel in our conversation, then we're really glad that you've listened to it. Please subscribe to hear more from us. Please rate and leave a review. It really helps the podcast grow and get out there to as many people as possible. So please share it with everybody that you think will really enjoy it. Stay connected with us on social media for updates, upcoming episodes, and how you can take part in this podcast in the future. Thank you very, very much for listening. Say goodbye to everybody, Jordan. Goodbye to everybody, Jordan. Yeah, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.